uh, she writes a little excerpt in a journal. And it's long, it's almost poetic, the things that she says, and she's talking about prayer when she's referring to it. But she talks about the growth that comes from stillness. The growth that comes from stillness. And, and, and in it, one of the things that she's implied, and it's made me have more times where I just sit in the quiet. Um, but, but, and it's like such an astute observation that we miss it. She says that, see how the grass grow and the leaves, or no, and the trees grow, and the flowers grow, all in the quietness. And uh, if God grows them without all the noisiness and without all these things, then how much more will he grow you? And what she's saying is that if we're ever going to have a word from God that's going to make a growth, a growing difference in our life, She's saying that there has to be a moment of stillness in our life. And uh, so I've been trying to incorporate a little bit of those. I mean, I always get up and I have my routine. But how many of you know sometimes you just need your routine broken? <laughs> and for me, it's, uh, it's been an inspiring word from, uh, from her uh, to me to have more time where I just sit and listen to the wind blow. Now, I don't think I'll ever hear quietness again. First of all, I got kids and y'all know what that is. And second is I have tinnitus. And so like to me, there are always crickets. There is never a time where there's, I can't even remember what absolute silence ever sounded like. And, and truthfully, I can't even hear kids have, the reason like I can, like y'all might be like, I hear some, I hear kids in the back, like me, they got to scream over the tinnitus for me to hear them. So sometimes like that brother preaches loud. Well, I talk loud too, because I can't hear myself unless I talk loud enough. So you just have to bear with me there. Today we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. It's been something I've wanted to do for a while. Uh, when we're done with Corinthians on Wednesday, I'm going to move us into the Old Testament and then run the New Testament during the Sundays. And um, I, I, am, I am always going to draw us back to Jesus and back to his life and back to the things that he has said and done. And I think it is the biblical foundation, obviously, for all church today. Uh, and I think it's important that we stay very close to that as much as possible. Uh, many of you know I, I'm not a big fan of teaching series. I'm not a big fan of, uh, of uh, topical preaching. And, and the only reason why, it's nothing wrong with it, but there's always this danger of inputting my uh, thoughts or ideas or opinions uh, up in the front and then making the Word of God fit where I want it to fit. Um, a good example of this is found when Jesus meets the devil uh, in the desert. He quotes the scriptures exactly right, but he does it in a way that makes his opinion or his idea of the scripture true. That's not how you preach. That's not how you preach. I'm going to tell you today, there's a lot of people that preach that way. But it's more done in a self-help way than a self-destroy way like the devil had there. And so it's not as obvious that it's not necessarily truth. Oh, will it make you have a better day? Sure. Will it put a smile on your face? Sure. But not everything that puts a smile on your face is good for you. Amen? Man, I had one amen. That's not good. Be reminded this is a Pentecostal church. The Baptist church is up the hill. Although they're trying to play with Pentecost these days. They're trying to play with it. I have sat in a few Baptist uh, services, and I'm, I, I, I said before, I, I told Joy one time, we went to a big youth thing one time at the Baptist church, and I said, man, they're like borderline there. They're like borderline there. That I described it as this, like, so here's the, the river, 
right? In Pentecost, everybody knows what the river is. That's where you jump in, get crazy, and buck wild. You know what I mean? Like, and that's like cool in Pentecost. I love it. And, and like they're right there on the edge of it, right? And, and like I watch them in worship. They got their hands and they'll jump around. And like some, some of the youth, they're like, there's not much a difference you can tell between the way we would do student ministry uh, in the Pentecostal church as compared to the Baptist church, right up until the point where it comes to the point where it's the altar moment. And then it's like the, here where they're jumping, it's this quiet moment. I mean, for us in the Pentecostal church, it, there's this atmosphere that's thick because of the Holy Spirit's there. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, this is about to get good. People are about to come to Jesus. And then it'll be like, and sit down. Whoa, whoa. That's the difference. I always equate it to like, here's the river. They go up to the edge of the water, go, look how awesome the water is. And then they step back. <laughs> Pentecostal folks be like, I'm about to jump up in this thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's those people that got to wade in. Like, my wife is one of those. Like, uh, all right, let's just get in the pool. Well, I'm going to jump in. Because this whole, like, freeze for 20 minutes as I'm walking in it is not fun to me. I'd just rather freeze for the first couple and be done with it, you know? So I jump in where she's very cautionary about it. I'm just going to put my foot in there a little bit, play around with it a little bit, you know? And then I'm going to ease my way and I'm going to talk myself into it. It's going to be good. It's going to be, okay, maybe wait on this a little bit. That's kind of what it's like. But we're Pentecostal in here. You can say amen. 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 Open your books. Gospel of Mark. Digital books, whatever you got. Start in chapter 1. Not going to read a whole bunch. Don't have to read a whole bunch to get to what we need to talk about today. Many of you have read the gospel. You know what it's going to say. But we're going to get into a few details that I think that are worth noticing. <laughs> More than worth noticing. I, I think if, if you get no message that I ever preach, I pray that you walk away with this one. This may be the most gospel-centered message I could preach to you. So if you've got them open, as soon as we open our Bibles to Mark's gospel, we're told in the very, very first verse, it's, it's absolute purpose. It, it reads, and I, now I'm, I'm kind of reading out of an ESV here lately because I've just gone through the New Living for so long in the last four or five years, I've just consumed it. So I'm, I tend to read different Bibles over the years and just learn different translations of them, or not translations, but... Um, I don't know what we call it. It's not a translation. It's just the way we read them, you know? I mean, American Standard, uh, NLT, NIV, all that stuff. The beginning of the gospel, it says this. It reads, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So very in the very beginning here, this is the life account of Jesus as told through what we believe. And if you haven't studied this book at all, what we believe is the Apostle Peter's account as told or written by, he dictated this to Mark also known as John Mark. If you've read the book of Acts, you know who this is. This guy seems to be related to a lot of people. And um, the very life of Jesus is the good news. That's why it starts here. This is his life, but this is the good news. The life of Jesus is the good news. His very arrival was the good news. Everything he did and has done and continues to do is the good news. This is why your testimony overcomes things. This is why your testimony brings people and evangelizes people into, the, uh, into being saved and into having eternal life. Why? Because your testimony is the story of how Jesus has saved you and how believing on Him and having faith in Him saves you. It is the good news. But this is the beginning of this narrative, and this is how they remembered it, and so this is also how they preached it 
uh, and you move on to the book of Acts, you see it in Peter. And like all of Matthew and Luke, uh, Mark's gospel account mentions the ministry of John the Baptist also. The very first Old Testament uh, reference is actually made just a few verses in uh, for Peter uh, preaching to Jews. This is a powerful reminder to the prophetic promise uh, from God the Father. Thinking about it, what better way to convince Jewish people who have a history and a heritage of reading Older Testament stuff, they would know these prophetic words that would lead up to Jesus. So Peter, in convincing his own people, needs to be able to preach from a history of it to show a faithfulness that God's faithful at His word. And, uh, he, and for the Gentiles, he tells them this so they can learn to trust it. This might not be your heritage, but we can prove throughout history God said these things through prophets years ago, and God has now revealed himself through his son Jesus Christ, and this is true. So he's, he's creating a trustworthy, he's starting it out. Let me tell you, this started a long time ago. He's creating a history here. And, like, uh, uh, and, and I think it's important to establish a history of trust between creator and creation. And today I wonder if this is lost at times. Now listen, while I don't think there's any escaping a digital future, my hope is that we'll cherish uh, the digital Bible as much as the past generations cherished the physical Bible. All right? Uh, as a disciple of Christ, I can think of no other way to teach out the mysteries of God more than to tell you that you should read God's Word and know God's Word. Um. In the beginning, we know very little about God when we come to Jesus, much like a newly married couple, you know, just enough to love each other and make dumb decisions, right? I mean, like you, 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 love, you love each other, and, and like that's all that matters, right? And it takes really a lifetime to get to know each other. There have to be times of uh, conversation. There have to be this concerted effort to know each other. You have to create date nights. You have to create moments where you just sit and talk. Here lately, we've been loving this like sci-fi show called Face Off. It does like makeup for weird stuff, and 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 so me and Joy like our date night. We're like date night, absolutely. Which is me and her on the couch watching uh, Face Off and just sitting there talking about different stuff. And 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 the the funny thing is, it Face Off doesn't matter. Okay, what's what matters is the conversations that go on between us in between that moment. We talk to one another. We have conversation with one another. And, and the older you get, the more you cherish that, the more you cherish all the other stuff. You really, really do. Because one thing about having kids that makes you do is makes you appreciate your wife. At least for a husband it does. Because there's so much that goes on that I'm not aware of at times that she's handling. There's also this other half of uh, kids take all the time from your wife that you don't get to have. And so when they're not there, you're like, oh my gosh. Like I took all the time, the greatest commodity of my house, the most valuable thing in my household is my wife because I'm trying to get time with her. My kids are trying to get time with her. Everybody from the church is trying to get time with her. I mean, like I'm trying to, like, I, I mean, like I got to like wait in line. And uh, I, I tell her all the time, you're the most valuable thing, baby. You're, you're it, man. It lives and dies on you, man. Stay healthy. I got to feed you good food here. We got we to do something right, right? It's not all intimacy, right? I mean, you just, it's not going to be all that way. Unfortunately, I think a lot of young couples think it's going to be like that, and they end up with some hard lessons in life. Intimacy can only take you so far that at some point you better be friends. You better get to know each other. And listen, when the, uh, uh, when the, when the date is over, are you able to cultivate your friendship with each other? Come on, it's the same aspect. When the altar moment has passed, will you still make the effort to press in and build your relationship with God? You might have a wonderful moment where you met Jesus. 
But that's all it is if you never cultivate that. It's the same in marriage. You have this wonderful moment where you just come together. But if you never do anything again to continue that relationship and build upon that platform, you're not going to be married for very long and you're not going to have a relationship with God at all. It's the same thing. Relationships, uh, marriage is just another reflection of our relationship with God. Relationships take time. They take effort. Love really presses us forward. Now, it seems like I got a whole lot of an Old Testament scripture, but what else do you think he's trying to do? He's creating a sense of faithfulness. God is faithful. We've already been in relationship with God. God, despite your going away, despite your, the fact that you have not continued to build upon this relationship, God has. That's why he throws Isaiah's scripture in the very beginning of the first chapter, because he's trying to prove the faithfulness of God, even when you're not faithful. And this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. This is where it begins in Mark. Mark records the beginning with the arrival of John the Baptist, like all the other gospels, and then immediately he moves to Jesus. However, if this is the beginning, there's something I think we too often glance over, maybe because we know what it means and just don't like it. And it really is the subject of what I'm going to talk about today. And as soon as I say it, it's going to be obvious, but we don't talk about it as much as we should. John's message begins the same way that Jesus uh, uh, begins his message. They were in sync with one another. And this one attribute, in verse 4 it reads about John that he was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we know through other uh, gospel accounts that multitudes flocked to hear John. They were baptized by him. There was a general consensus to the idea that repentance meant asking forgiveness for their trespasses against the Lord. Now, I use the word trespasses. Uh, and let me, let me kind of open that up here. because I, Listen, I use it because I think it actually sums up the better idea of sin in our life. When we do things that are counter to the holiness and righteousness of God... It's sin. Plain and simple. The Bible says in Psalm 51, 5, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And again in Romans 3.23, Paul concludes, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And there's the thing, right? There is a standard. There is a God's, God has a standard. And, and John sets it up, and Jesus sets it up, but there is a standard. No matter how much we don't want to think about it, no matter how much we don't want to agree with it, no matter how much it sits there, it just lingers there, we don't like it. In the sinker-sensitive uh, Christian church that we've created, uh, we don't like this word, we don't like this concept, but make no mistake about it, no matter what you do, there is always going to be a standard. You ain't going to like it when it's preached, you don't like it when it's held to accountability, but it's the truth. John preached that we should repent. This is where his ministry started. This voice crying in the wilderness, as Isaiah put it, is crying out, repent. The baptism was supposed to be a sign of your commitment to repentance. That's why it's called the baptism of repentance. After all, to repent means, and this is according to a dictionary, to feel or express sincere regret or even remorse about one's wrongdoing 
or sin and listen, and to turn away and go the opposite direction of it. It's not just, that, oh, I know it's wrong, but hey, it is what it is. No, it's that I know it's wrong, I acknowledge it, I see it before me now, and I'm going to make a conscious effort now to turn away from it. This is the door to the gospel. If there is a door, this is it. The grace and love of Jesus Christ is guarded by this word. Maybe that's why Peter records it to be the very first words uttered by Jesus himself. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, Now this is Jesus' words right here, not mine. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Both John and Jesus built their ministry platforms off this single word. It is the most used word in every sermon found in the book of Acts because without it, there is no salvation. None. Notice I didn't say that there isn't love and grace. Because that has always existed upon all creation. There's always been the love and grace of the Father. Always. Jesus explained this to us just like this. He said this, For He, God, makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If God was so angry with the wicked, then why, doesn't he, uh, why, doesn't he, why does He do anything for them? I mean, if he just hated them and he hated them and he hated listen, it's grace and love that allows both to feel the blessings of God. Even the wicked feel the blessings of God. The truth of the gospel tells us that God first loved us and he has always loved us. And when we live a life contrary, even when we live a life contrary to him, However, the truth of the ministry of Jesus and what he preached is that salvation for those to whom God loves, which is everyone, is for those that repent. Those that repent. repent repentance must exist at the heart of every salvation testimony. If it's not there, you are not saved. You are not saved. If you haven't repented for your sins, you are not saved. Because without it, there can be no salvation. It's pretty crystal clear on this too. Go and read. It's pretty clear. Let your eyes and let your hearts do some soul searching here. If we are to repent, to turn from our sin, how are we supposed to be living now? I mean, if repentance means to turn away from the way we, way we were to something new, then what should our lives look like now? Listen, I, I don't care what it looks like to anyone else. That's superficial. What's it look like biblically? Does it match what it looks like? What the Bible expresses a saved life or a sanctified life or a salvation life looks like? I mean, don't get me wrong here. It's going to be messy. Make no mistake about that. Letting go of old sinful habits is hard. And, uh, and if you know this, you know this already. It's often defeating. It's defeating. You feel defeated all the time. And you're just trudging along in mud and it seems like you're never going to get clear of it. And listen, we have to add another equation into this now because Jesus first, he preached that we were the first to repent. And then the second is to believe in the gospel. So it, we have to ask it, we have to say, well, what is the gospel? And the gospel is this, that Christ has provided forgiveness of your sins 
for all who believe on him. While everyone is born in sin and is guilty of a life of sin, God has made a way for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Since there must be some form of atonement of sin, God has sent Jesus. And through Jesus' death on the cross, all those who repent, listen, all those who repent, who feel or express sincere regret or remorse about their wrongdoing, and they turn from it, all of those who repent and believe on him are forgiven and will receive eternal life. You don't get to pull that out. You don't get to add and subtract to the gospel. You can't take repentance out. Like Christ, your sins will be destroyed once you repent and as, they, as, they, as in his death. And, and also like Christ, you will rise anew in, in his resurrection. That's the promise of the gospel. It begins with repentance. And now you're able to live your life through him by faith. It should be noticeable, guys. We should be able to see it. Paul declared that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. The new has come. There is a physical change that happens in the heart when true repentance takes place. You are a new person, a different person, a redeemed and rescued person. You're changed. Now, I didn't say made perfect. Come on now. But you are changed. There should be a significant heart shift in you. You're a new creation. It means something inside of you has happened to the point that you will actually change your entire lifestyle. For Peter, this is dramatic. Why do you think he starts out here? Why do you think repent becomes some of the big word for him? Why do you think this is the first thing he records? Because this is what he remembers. Being a sailor, obviously he's got an issue with his tongue because even when he's looking at Jesus eye to eye with Jesus going to the cross, he lets a cuss word slip out. He's got his own issues. He's got his own issues. He's going to run away. He's going to deny that he's ever going to know Christ. He's got his own issues. For all the boisterous question, all the bigness that we make Peter to be, he's the guy running scared while John, the one who honestly looks more feminine, is right by his side when everything goes down. But something happens to him. Because when we find him in the book of Acts, he ain't running from nothing anymore. Something happens. And listen, sometimes it's a radical shift. It's a radical shift in your life. And what that means is that you're so convicted of the sinful things in your life that you make radical changes in turning away from them. For me, I can't speak for anybody else, I feel like I had a radical change happened to me i literally uh we laugh about this sometimes because i think uh, there were people who already like preempting this in my life but i literally went through any movies or music or even clothes or any other stuff that i had anything that i thought might provoke me to wickedness or provoke me to live a life that was opposite from where god wanted me to i burned that stuff man back in the 90s we would i mean like they it seems like churches just had burn barrels you just took your junk out and burned it you don't want to give it to nobody else. You sure weren't going to garage sell off all your sin. Come on now. You're like, no, nah, man, I can't give that to anybody else. It might cause them to sin. What, I'm going to make money off my sinful stuff to other sinners? Well, they ain't saved yet. I might get a little. <laughs> no, that's not how it works, guys. That's not how it works. But like literally, we, we burned all that stuff. We got rid of it. Listen, that doesn't mean that I didn't experience weakness or walk uh, back 
towards those things at times because I did. Listen, but no matter how much I failed, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was upon my heart at that moment. And I would constantly repent and return. Which, by the way, if I don't say it any other time, let me tell you, repentance is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. It is not a one-time event or every Sunday event. It is a lifestyle that you live. For some, for me, it was this radical shift in my heart. For some, it's a slow process. I've seen so many people that it literally takes them forever to grow. It's not for me to judge them uh, uh, and try to juxtapose any speed by which they should progress. As long as I can see a genuine heart uh, change or a genuine progress that's, that's productive, you know, like they keep coming to church or they're reading their Bible and asking questions, uh, you know, they read the Bible not because they have to, you know, but because they actually love Jesus and have this like serious attitude towards knowing Jesus. They struggle to evangelize, but hey, that's okay. At least they're trying and they're telling me about like, hey, man, I tried, but it was horrible. And, you know, I, was, you know, it's, I just started, I mean, like, it's okay. At least there's this change going on. I could see it. And I'm, it even looks to some, like it'll look hypocritical at first. Like, yeah, but man, dude, he's like telling people about Jesus, but he's also smoking a pack a day. Like this guy, he's trying to get somebody <laughs> uh, quit drinking alcohol, but he's addicted over here to cigarettes. I know, but he loves Jesus, man. Give it time. Give it time. God's, God's happy with it. God sees the heart change inside of him. Listen, trust God at the moment when he's going to take away these things from their life. There were a lot of things God didn't take away from me in the beginning. I bet I look like the biggest hypocrite because I love Jesus and I'm coming every Sunday, but I, my life didn't necessarily live like it during the week. But the one thing that you could see is that I would not stop coming because Jesus had done something in me and while he hadn't removed different things from my heart yet he was working on those things and taking them and sometimes it's just slower than others but at least you could see it and even in the progress even those who are slowly moving right you can see the progress you just need to stick around long enough I tell you as a pastor who's been here almost eight around eight years now I've seen the progress of many people I could tell you some amazing testimonies of kids that I've seen grow up, man, become fantastic adults. Fantastic. Repentance produces fruit. It does. And this was a part of the message, actually, of John the Baptist. He preached. Now, Peter didn't cover it here in Mark, but Matthew did. In Matthew 3, 7 through 12, it reads, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. We go to church. We go. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptized you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And listen, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The fullness of John's message is revealed. And John describes repentance, a repentance that produces fruit. There is a physical offspring to repentance. It's visibly evident. John also makes a good point here as he addresses the church leaders of his day. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. Period. Works are not what save you. 
A repentance that produces fruit and believing in salvation through Jesus Christ is what saves you. John stressed the idea of repentance and produces a change by revealing that Jesus will sift out those who haven't repented and those who have. That's what that whole scripture says. Those who have produced the fruit of repentance will be gathered. And the, and the tree that doesn't produce fruit will be burned. Will be burned. <laughs> I used to say, the easy way for me to say this from like an East Texas way, I used to say, uh, two things are going to happen when the fire comes. You're either going to burn up in Holy Ghost fire or burn up in the brush fire. One or the other. One or the other. You can't keep sinning and expect Jesus just to be okay with it. You, sh you shouldn't be okay with a conscience that ignores sin in your life. 2,000 years ago, John, 2,000 years ago, John said there was a winnowing, a, a winnowing fork that was in the hands of Jesus ready to separate the wheat from the chaff. Then how much more is it should be sifting today? And if that was said 2,000 years ago, and he said we're on the cusp of it now, how much more are we there today? Let me say it again. The doorway to the gospel begins with repent. Eternal life is for those who repent and believe. It's pretty simple. And yet it should be a message that burns to the very core of you. There's nothing else. Nothing else you're going to learn. This is the platform. This is your base foundation. If you don't know this, that's a problem. You can't build on anything else unless you're sure about this one thing. That repentance and believing are the very foundations of your faith. In Acts 2, Peter's sermon cut to the heart of the gospel as the Holy Spirit had bewildered people. Most people know the Acts 2 uh, uh, and everything that happened there. And he didn't preach this easy message either. He preached the gospel, plain and simple. And, and look at the response. And I'm going to kind of go through the scriptures and, and, and we'll talk about it here and there. But in Acts 2, it's starting at verse 36. It says, let all the, this is Peter preaching, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both the Lord and Christ. And I love this part. This Jesus whom you crucified. Man, Peter lays their death of the Son of God at their feet. Basically in his sermon. I never started out a sermon where I just call people murderers. But this is a pretty good start at it. Sin must be atoned for. This is the reason Jesus went to the cross. You are the what for. Your sin is the why Jesus went to the cross. So it's inherently because of you and because of your insistence in sinning that Jesus had to die on the cross to atone for you. And he did it gladly. This is Peter's way of saying that. And if you go to verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Uh-huh, you just got called a murderer. Like, you killed the Son of God. Kind of a big deal. And, P and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. There it is. 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Listen, you should be cut to the heart, too, if something like this is said. Because it's your sin that puts him there, right? An innocent man is ravaged by his love for you. He took the punishment for you, meant for you so that you can have eternal life with the Father in heaven. It's all for you, and it's also all because of you. And there's only one reply from the people. I love it. It's, what can we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent. Be baptized in repentance. Be washed over with repentance. Be covered in repentance. Change your direction. Turn from your unholy, unrighteous ways. Repent and believe. Listen, let's continue. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking the br of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had things, all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, and as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having faith with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved when people repent they turn from their sin and look at the consequences of repentance look at the fruit of repentance they devoted themselves to learning God's word they felt compelled to compassion and love pressed in on them and they wanted to know what God had said and what God had done because they already could see what God is doing they shared meals with one another sound familiar they prayed together they experienced signs and wonders together. Their hearts were changed so much that they even sold their possessions and gave them to the poor, to all that had needs. Now, it says they attended meetings together daily. Some of you would be like, praise God right now. You're not like that still, Lord, help us. But the truth of the matter is, you know what they really wanted? It wasn't like, man, I can't wait to go hear somebody preach and sit for 20 minutes. What they wanted was like what we do on Wednesday night. I'm going to sit around. I'm going to have a meal, and we're going to share about the great things God's done in my life this week. That's what we're going to sit around and do. We're going to sit around. I can't wait to go sit back around, and we're going to talk about Jesus and talk about the glory. And I'll, It's like it's a fresh and new in my heart that I've been forgiven. I've been saved. That God has me. A sinner like me now. God has saved me. Right? It started in the homes. Read it. It started in the homes. They're eating and they're being generous with one another. They lived in the joy of the Lord. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? No wonder there were numbers added daily. They were actually happy. Believe it or not, you can be happy when you come to church. Amen? That was better. If this is the biblical approach to repentance, then you reason within yourselves what it should look like when someone repents. You tell me what it's supposed to look like. Should we be worried when people are living in sin? Should we be worried when we see those who've confessed Christ as Lord, but they're not living according to the biblical form of repentance, then have they repented at all? 
I mean, what do you think? Would I be considered judgmental if I saw uh, someone living a life that's contrary to biblical repentance and I approached them on that matter? Like, hey, I see some things that are wrong here. Why are you judging me? Because you're living a life that's contrary to biblical repentance. Man, I just see you judging me. Now, what you see is that you're probably guilty. Because what you don't see, what you don't understand, and this is the human thing, we hate accountability. Anything in our life that points out what's bad, because like, what if I pointed that finger on you? You could point it all day long, and you know what you're going to see? The same stuff that you're struggling with. But that's why iron is supposed to sharpen iron. You're supposed to have already, well, I don't, like, it's not a threat if you come back, well, I'm going to hold you accountable. Gosh, I hope so. I thought you loved me. That's, that's how I feel when people are like that. Like, you know that, right? Like, that's what I want, right? Like, if you see something in me and you say something like, hey, man, I, I feel like I need, like, man, there's maybe some things that we, you know, you need to look, maybe you need to, and, he, and I would, I would like, man, at first, I'm not going to lie, would it be, would it feel soul crushing? Absolutely. I don't think every time anybody held anybody accountable, it does, but it's also loving. Every time I got caught doing something wrong as a kid, it hurt. Physically and emotionally. And I'm better for it. And until you reason that in yourself, that just, I'm going to tell you right now, if you still have to tell, you know, if you're telling God that you're an adult, you're probably still not an adult. Well, I'm an adult now. I'm not a kid. You shouldn't be telling me. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you don't need help. Just because you're an adult don't mean that you don't do stuff wrong that needs accountability in your life. Somebody to help you come along and say, this is not right. I love you, so I'm telling you. Because what we often do is think just because nobody says anything, those must be our real friends. They accept me. Those aren't your real friends. They don't care if you die and go to hell. That's not your friend. Your friend is the one who cares about where you're headed, both in life and in eternal life. And accountability creates this. How are we supposed to act when we see somebody not living according to biblical repentance? Man, we always do anything we do in love. Be careful. Be careful what you say. Know that what you, if you say anything whatsoever, you better know that you know. Because we're also called not to be offensive. We're also called not to make them be the stumbling block. Maybe it isn't for you to say. Maybe it's for somebody else to say. And what you need to do is be praying. Be praying for somebody that's going to come along in their life and be the person that can say that. You know, as a pastor, I've got to be that person a lot, and it's not fun for me either. Because just like anybody else, you know, one of the great struggles as a pastor, and I think all pastors probably struggle with this, is the desire, because we love people, the desire to be friends is so strong that if you're not careful, it can make you compromise your Christianity just for the sake of being liked. Like, I know this is wrong. I need to say something. But if I do, I know they're going to hate my guts, block me on every social media thing they got, never come see me again. And then in the back of my mind, I hear Jesus going, it's not about you. I need you to speak life and truth here. Don't take it personal. You know, it's hard. It's hard. I have to ask these questions. Are you living? A life of biblical repentance? Or are you justifying things in your life for the sake of comfort, for the sake of lust, for the sake of pleasure? Is your conscience tugging at you? If so, awesome. That means the Holy Spirit's doing a work within you. My wife calls it holy guilt. Mm-hmm. That's God going, it's not right. 
you know it's not right. I'm the still small voice that won't let you go. That no matter what, every time you feel that, ugh, that sick stomach, because you know you're doing something not right. And if you don't feel any of that, then something's wrong. Why isn't your conscience seared by the Holy Spirit? Are you saved? Are you saved? That becomes a question for you, man. And then you get, you know, everybody that's going to say, well, what about love? What about grace? Are you kidding me? There's love and grace found in the gospel, man. It's real simple. (laughs) But listen where the gospel begins. You have to repent and then believe. And there's no way around that. Today, I think we give people a way around like, man, you can just believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Just believe in Jesus Christ. But even Jesus is the guy who said repent. (laughs) Jesus' first message, according to the gospel of Mark and through Peter's vantage point, Peter says Jesus' first word, repent and believe. Jesus don't let you around that one. Even Jesus said the gospel is ignited as soon as repentance begins. That's why it's the broken man that God listens to. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of brokenness. Right? Of knowing. Like if you, if you have a repentative lifestyle, you know that you know that, that things aren't right here. And so you're constantly before the Lord. Things aren't right, God. I need you. I believe in you. I see your faithfulness. And what happens? Like the marriage we talked about at the beginning, right? So I'm going to start reading your word. And I'm going to start praying and having conversations with you. And, and being in those quiet spots, as Mother Teresa would put it, where we can actually grow together, God. Where we can have some intimacy time. Where we're one-on-one. And as I grow and I learn your word, you know what happens when I learn his word? I evoke the promises of God. How do I learn? the promise of God because I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly knowing God. And why would I even believe the promises of God? Because the more I read about God, the more it shows me his faithfulness is tested over and over and over and over. Constantly. It starts, it starts at repentance. Repentance is like admitting that you don't know it all. Repentance is, is admitting that you need help. Repentance is admitting that some of your problems have come to the surface and everybody sees them and you know that they see them, but you, your I don't care attitude can only last so long. Repentance is admitting all those things. Make no mistake, yes, grace and love, it's there. It's right there as it sends an innocent man to the cross to die for a person that's lost in their sin. You want to see grace and love, just look at the gospel. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Grace and love allows a person who repents time to change. (laughs) You know, aren't you glad that uh, God is a better friend than you are? That way the first time something goes south in your friendship, you're like, hate that guy now. God's like, that's all right. Repent. And we go like, I'm sorry, God. Okay, we're good. We're good, man. We're good. So I love you, man. We got this. Like, uh, but God, I was like, totally like, I'm like the worst friend you've ever had. Like uh, Michael shared last week, I've been out doing drugs. I'm sleeping around. I've been doing all these things. They're totally anti you. But I love you. Repent and believe. Repent. It's hard for us to, get, to grasp that. That's the mystery of the gospel. How do we grasp a love like this? Because we don't, let's just be honest, man, that there's limits to our love. You get hurt enough, you're real quick going to go, I don't have to have that in my life every day. Right? We've already got some people we know by name. We kicked them out of our life a long time ago. I can't do that. That's God. God, you're just going to have to love them because I hate their guts. And you're going to have to help me love them because I really hate their guts. 
And you hear, you hear God. I know you do in your whole repentative nature. You hear God, but I've called you to love them. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You call a pastor to love them. <laughs> no, he's called you. I can tell you, I've had people in my life, I remember I had a worship pastor in my life where I played for him, and man, I just couldn't stand playing for him. Man, he just seems like he did everything the hard way, and I just couldn't, I mean, like, drove me crazy. Didn't seem to me, didn't have much of a backbone, and, and I struggled with him. And so I was like, okay, I got to start praying for him. And I'm like, I don't want to pray for him. I want to pray about him. You know the difference, right? I like, and so I'm praying, and I'm praying, Lord, Help him have a good day today, Lord. Build him up in your faith. But I mean, I'm like chaining these good. I'm trying to. And you know what happened? My heart started to shift. God didn't change my circumstance. God changed me. And you know what I started to see? Things that he was facing that I didn't know were there. Like the way the older people in the church treated him if he didn't do a song they wanted him to play. The, the things that they would say to him are ugly. Or how they would treat his wife. Or the, thing, the pressure that he was underneath to, to other ministry ideas, that he, things that he had. Things I didn't know because I wasn't in ministry at the time. I was just somebody on a worship team. And I began to change my heart. Now, there were some times where I had some moments where I had like, oh, Lord, that was a setback. Like when he wore a Denver Broncos shirt to a Cowboy game. But you know what? Good thing for Cowboy Stadium is the fans took care of that. I didn't have to say anything. God has funny things that he does. But you know what the funny thing was? We were there at a Cowboy game together because we were friends. You'd be surprised who some of the people that, man, we have some of the biggest issues that through a little bit of prayer and a little bit of time can become some of your greatest friends that you have. I mean, really, some of the hardest people I get along with are some of the greatest friends I know. Just, and and they don't have a ton of friends because they're so hard to get along with. But once you begin to pray for them and start to understand their life and see where they come from, you start to give grace to them that most people won't give. And the only reason why is because you've been praying for them. They become something on your heart something upon your heart. It starts with repentance. The gospel's full of all of it. But there's no skipping the process here. There's no skipping the process. It starts with repentance. It starts with there. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. Um, I don't know where everybody's at. It's that's between you and God. What I do know is this. It starts there. And if you're not living a life of repentance, and if your conscience is, is grabbing at you, here's one thing we're going to do. When we get ready to play a few songs for worship, and I know it's, it's routine now to us, right, that we fast song and then slow song and all that. But listen, there's, there's nothing routine about our relationship with God because there's nothing routine about Him. God does all kinds of crazy things. There's some times where God shows up so quick, you're like, man, that was God. And then, like, you're so angry when God shows up at the last minute. You're like, ah, it was last minute, you know. In my case, I'm always like, God's always a last-minute God. To him, I know he's right on time. That's the Pentecostal answer. But right on time means last second. So good thing is he's given me uh, girls, which that has taught me that there's a lot of great things that happen at the last second. Amen, right? Yeah. That's what happens when you get the microphone. But it starts at repentance. It's a life of repentance. And, and, and the hope is, and the same hope that, uh, and I hope you have that it, it's a process. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. A, a, to repent is a lifestyle of brokenness, of knowing and knowing and knowing that the, the pull of the Holy Ghost upon you. 
And as soon as you do something, or as soon as you say it, as soon as you get angry and you're like, and you said something or you, you regret something, you know like the Holy Spirit pulls you in and go, and I know the devil, that's when the devil comes along and your own conscience comes along and beats you up even more like, man, a saved person never talks like that. Uh-uh, I know lots of saved people that talk like they shouldn't talk. But you know what they also, you know what I know also about them? They repent. They're sorry, genuinely sorry for the things that they're doing and for the things that they've done. That they make changes in their life. It starts with repentance. The gospel of Mark starts here which should tell you the theme of the gospel according to Mark, the theme of Peter's ministry. Go look, go look in the book of Acts, all the sermons Peter preaches. Repent is always there. It's always there. You cannot escape that. You can't pluck it out of the gospel regardless of what we see today in our churches. You can't take that away unless you repent, unless you turn away from what was and turn a new direction away from that, Right? There can be nothing next. There can't get to the belief. You have to turn and believe. Turn and believe. Now, as we get ready to worship and as we get ready to sing a few songs, man, I want you to dig in and know where the things that you need to repent for are. That's not for me to like know. I'll tell you this, that when John was preaching repentance, it, it said that they came and, and they were baptized in repentance according to their confession. So listen, what you need to confess is between you and the Lord. But what we will do is at the end of the service, we are going to uh, pray. And we're going to pray for a few individuals. But also, if you, if you have prayer and you need a time of repentance, we're going to give that to you. Uh, and that's where we're going to go from there.